you grow up and you're just watching TV and if you only see people who look like you, you're going to get a shock when you come into the wider world. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you see yourself represented in a situation where you've never seen yourself represented before, you're going to feel like you can shoot for those goals. I remember feeling really thrilled after teaching my first class to the team at work and really mm -hmm. exhilarated and just this sense of beauty and being able to pass on the magic that I had felt. And if one person in the class could feel that way, then amazing. But yeah, definitely my mum. There's no there's no one else that I look up to. And I think the other thing she's taught me, which is which is kind of the, another reason why I do what I do, is that I can do anything I set my mind on and this very, very, very can-do attitude. Um, and that it's, you know, it's my birthright kind of thing. She always says that, it's my birthright to, to do what I want to do. For me, waking up, starting my morning with a meditation, sometimes journaling, I'll write down how I feel, I'll write down what I'm grateful for, and then go into, into a physical practice with asana and with pranayam and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. My day runs so smoothly because it starts with that time and it, I'm, I'm taking care of myself first before I rush downstairs, grab a coffee and get on a work call. Because for those who are listening, I work at a tech company Monday to Friday, nine to five. I'm the director of sales for a tech company. I'm on the senior leadership team. I have a lot going on at work. So if I don't start my days like that, and if I just wake up at 8.45 because I slept late the night before, grab a coffee, go straight to a meeting, my whole day is stressed. Vanakam, namaste, and hello, everyone. Welcome to the 24th episode of Inside the Minds of Great Yogis. In today's episode, we have a very special guest joining us. And to start off, she's a wellness educator, writer, coach, and teacher of yoga, meditation, and breath work. Her work involves honoring Eastern rituals, decolonizing yoga, and speaking on diversity and inclusion. Her teachings provide insights into how you can apply ancient Eastern rituals and Vedic philosophy to your modern everyday life. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner in training living in London. Her works have been featured in Women's Health Magazine, UK and Australia, Red Meg, Mary Claire and Stylist. Let's give a big round of applause to Angie Tawari. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you and I'm really excited to hear your perspectives of yoga. So I want to start off by asking you, how did your journey of yoga begin? So when I was growing up, yoga was something that was always part of my family. Um, it was always something that I saw my parents practice whether that be through bhakti yoga which is the yoga of devotion so through chanting through feeling uh, really connected with that sense of faith and something that's that's you know a higher level of consciousness something that's bigger than all of us um and also some yoga poses and that meditative life it was more i could see a yogic lifestyle as opposed to oh, every day we do an hour, hour of yoga with my parents. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't kind of set aside as this is when we're going to do yoga. It was more ingrained in 
our lives. So mm-hmm. I think I would say it started years and years and years ago. And, and because I'm South Asian, I know that, you know, my ancestors would have practiced yoga. Um, and so somewhat I feel that within me. But I didn't actually get into a physical practice and a regular practice until I was in my early 20s. So my early 20s, I discovered yoga in gyms and in studios. And that's also very different to how I experienced that yogic lifestyle at home. Actually so much so that I didn't really realize that they were the same yoga. I kind of of saw a few crossovers, but I didn't really think it was the same thing. I thought it was something different Mm -hmm. and new which was interesting Um, and I hated it. I honestly hated it. I hated how much the poses really tested me. Mm -hmm. Um, It brought out this ego, it brought out this huge sense of comparison. Sometimes I loved it, I will say, and I felt really connected. And other times the whole class, I would be comparing myself to the person next to me, thinking how can she do this pose, but I can't do it. Mm-hmm. or getting frustrated if I went to a yoga class and it was just really slow poses because I was really craving something fast-paced and dynamic and so feeling a lot of frustration and resistance there so I was very judgmental of yoga as a practice and I was very judgmental of myself within that practice and how I existed within that practice I think that's important to note because you often don't think that that's the case when you see someone who is a yoga teacher, you just think, oh, clearly they love yoga. But actually mm-hmm. I've been there through the times where I've really hated it and struggled with it. Um, I guess it started making a real difference for me. One, because I was consistent with it. I was consistent because I, I, I knew that there were benefits. And even though mm-hmm. there were times I hated it, there were the few times where I did love it. So I kept going and I made it a priority to make sure that I would practice. I felt in and out of that practice, but I would always, something was always drawing me back. And then I was actually unemployed um, out of a, a job that I hated um, and out of a relationship that I wasn't happy in and moved into a new place. So lots of kind of things in my life that had unrooted me and unsettled me. And I started practicing a little bit more then. And it was in those practices where I really felt the sense of release, connection, divine, something more than than what I'd experienced it to be before. And I thought to myself, right, I, I, I kind of got the addiction then and I was going really regularly. And I thought, okay, I'm unemployed right now. If I, let me apply for another job and try and get a job in London. But at the same time, I'm going to apply to do a teacher training in India. And if I get the teacher training in India and I get the new job to defer my place so I can start a few months later, so I can have that time to go to India, then that will be perfect. And I'm just so grateful that that's exactly how, I work, how, how it worked out. I got onto the place at the teacher training in India. I got a job that I asked the job to defer by two months, which they allowed me to. And I was able to go to India and, and do my teacher training. And then since then, it's been, it's still been a continued journey because I think there is so much in the practice of yoga and there's so much introspective work that we can be doing on a day-to-day basis. It really is about how to bring it into your lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And I absolutely love how you mentioned, you touched upon some very important concepts. And I want to start off by mentioning um, comparison. When you mentioned comparison, I can definitely agree with that as well, because 
I, I started comparing myself to people I see on social media, whereas when they're like flexible with certain yoga asanas and when they do like headstand, I wasn't able to do that. So when I started comparing myself, like I can, I can definitely see that as well. And, um, I really like how you mentioned that, you know, how you like how you see that as a transition, like from being unemployed to making it a routine and being consistent with it. I think that's so important about yoga. When you start it with day one, it's so important to continue with it and continue with that practice and go with the flow. So yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And I would like to come into the next question by asking you, so what factors motivated you to become a yoga teacher? Honestly, I didn't want to be a teacher when I went to the training. I just had these breakthrough, transformative, eye-opening moments and I couldn't explain them. I couldn't, I couldn't scientifically explain them. And I, despite being a deeply spiritual person, and I think I always have been, I didn't identify as being spiritual. So I was looking for an answer. I was looking for why am I feeling this way? Why is the yoga practice making me feel this way? How is it doing this? And that led me to doing loads of research. And that led me to thinking, right, I want to go and learn more. I want to go and do a training. The teacher word within that training was, you know, it doesn't matter if it was there or not. I didn't really care for the qualification, but I wanted to go and understand what is this practice because I had felt this shift. And I'm not saying I was completely healed and cured, but it was doing something. And I was fascinated and humbled by the experience of that. And that's what led me to, to going and doing the training, which obviously gave me the qualifications to teach. When I came back to London, I teaching was, was so low on my radar. So, when I came back to London, my focus was not to be a yoga teacher. It was to get, get ingrained in my new job um, and, and, and learn the ropes there and really focus on that. And also figure out, because I felt really changed when I came back. Like deep down, I was the same person, but I felt even more of a shift internally. And I felt more of a, I felt more introverted but happily introverted. I think prior to going on my teacher training, I was one of those people that was out all the time, always busy, always seeing people, always messaging people, always in connection, which connection is fantastic. But I don't think that I was doing it for the connection. I think I was doing it to avoid a sense of loneliness or boredom. There was a reason that I was doing it. And it was really beautiful to allow myself in that time where I was training. So, it was, it, was, it was a shift that I felt when I came back to London and I was really trying to figure out, well, how do I operate in the city of London with this kind of more introverted self? And yeah, teaching was not a priority. I wasn't really interested in teaching. But what I did do is I did start teaching once a week at the company I worked for as like a work perk. And that was nice because it allowed me to put what I'd learned into practice. But I think there'll be a lot of yoga teachers potentially listening to this, or if you're looking to do a yoga teacher training, you do feel when you come out really scared to teach because you've never done it before. And it's practice does make, make it obviously like anything, feel more stable to you and feel like more of a safe space for you to exist in. But I really, I remember feeling really thrilled after teaching my first class to the team at work and really mm -hmm. exhilarated and just this sense of 
the beauty in being able to pass on the magic that I had felt. And if one person in the class could feel that way, then amazing. So the reason why I continue to teach um, and, and the reason why I really, really got into teaching probably just before the pandemic um, and certainly bringing my vision online during the pandemic that only really started at kind of end of 2020 is because I feel drawn to share parts of the practice that are not openly shared. And we mentioned earlier the yoga poses and, and how they are fantastic, but they do often mm-hmm. comparison and they can bring bring a lot of frustration. And that's great because that's a mental challenge for you to work through. But it also excludes people who are not able-bodied. It excludes people with injuries. Um, the way that yoga is represented excludes a lot of people from the culture from where yoga originated who feel like they can't take part in it because they, they go to a class and they hear certain Sanskrit sacred words being butchered in pronunciation and they don't see themselves represented. So there's a lot of issues with the yoga industry. Now I'm ever the optimist. I'm a very, very positive person, but I'm also not afraid to bring those topics to the fore and to have the discussion that I know is happening within me and it's starting to happen amongst the South Asian community. I feel like I wanna be that voice amongst others to try and raise that and see what we can do to make it a safer space so that more people can come and practice and more people do feel included because that's, you know, yoga is about unity. It's about bringing everyone together, but also bringing yourself together. We can't do that if a lot of people feel excluded from the practice. To answer your question about why I teach, I would say probably that is more the reason why, because I feel called and I feel there's a message that needs to be shared. And Mm -hmm. I want to try and do that more. Um, but it's funny because when I went originally to do the training, there was there was no intention to teach at all. Okay. Yeah. I I really like how you mentioned that, you know, diversity and in- inclusion is so important within yoga and um, how everyone should start to advocate for that. And of course, yoga means union. So everyone should be included um, no matter if they're flexible or not. And yoga is something that's open to everyone. It's a way of freedom. So yeah, thank you for sharing that, Angie. And I want to come into the next question by asking you, so do you have any yoga asana recommendations for people who are seated on a couch or a sofa? Everyone's in a work from home mode, so. Yeah, it's so funny you ask that because that is one of the most important things for me, things for me is to share that you can practice yoga anywhere. You don't need to have a yoga mat. It's great if you do. They're great for, you know, getting a good grip if you're practicing and, you, and you're doing it at home and you don't want to do you want a slippy floor for example but you don't need a yoga mat and I think this comes back to the concept that yoga is not just the poses yoga is a wider practice it's a, it's a change in your lifestyle and so I actually have a couple of um a couple of uh you on my Instagram actually uh series which is how to do yoga on your sofa and um and like desk yoga doing yoga right sat at your desk so really simple things you can do. Um, We store a lot of tension in our neck. So just taking a simple side stretch by tilting your uh, neck over to one side and and, sorry, tilting your head over to one side, bringing your ear down towards your shoulder. You're gonna feel a nice stretch through the left side of the neck. And then if you wanna increase that, you can place your hand just on top of the left ear and then gently bring a little bit of pressure. And you're gonna just feel that extend into the left side of the neck maybe into the left shoulder which we feel a lot of of tension in and then of course you can change sides 
things like shoulder rolls you can do things like eagle arms where you bring your hands and you cross them over it's really good for opening through the chest and stretching out the back so there's there's loads of things that you can do that you can really easily do on your sofa it doesn't have to be anything complex and sometimes I find it's the smaller simpler movements done regularly as opposed to not moving all day and then doing an hour of yoga well actually you're probably quite stiff by then so how can we be really aware and again chit that's that word in in Sanskrit chit is awareness how can we bring awareness to our everyday when you're working when you're on your sofa can you tune into how it is you're feeling are you feeling tightness in your lower back are you feeling tension in the back of your legs okay fine and what can you do kind of there and then um bringing awareness to your life and bringing awareness to how people make you feel and to how things make you respond again is a really good one and then using your breath if you feel that you've just had a text from a friend and it's upset you you might notice your breath goes a little bit short and sharp and shallow because you're getting a bit stressed just taking your time to relax sit up straight and do some breathing into the lower part of the belly adam pranayam which is also known as deep belly breathing so really getting into what's known as the parasympathetic nervous system it's helping relax our body and tell your body that you're safe when it does feel that spike of adrenaline like something's gone wrong you have the power and control to bring yourself back all these things we can do on the sofa you can do it on the bus you can do it anywhere you are yeah that's that's incredible and I love how it's beyond the mat right like yoga doesn't have to be in the mat you can do it anywhere so um I hope everyone uses Angie's tips and um, everything that she has shared and make sure to check out her Instagram as well. Um, I believe it's at Tawari Yoga, right? At Tawari Yoga, yeah. So that's where I have loads of tips and tricks uh, regularly and always open to hear what people want to see, whether they want to see more yoga at your desk or more yoga on your sofa or more yoga on your mat or breakdowns of certain poses. And then my retreat page is We Are Prithvi, but you'll find that through Tawari Yoga. And that's for my um, online members. I do a monthly satsang, which is the, the last Sunday of every month, which is a spiritual gathering where we discuss a particular topic, which is, again, that is yoga, but it's a part where you don't really see that uh, presented that much in, in the wider society or the way that we view yoga. And then retreats, in-person retreats as well, which are mostly in the UK. That's amazing. I hope everyone checks it out and you can connect with Angie as well and um, see what asanas and posters and tips about yoga she has posted on her page. Now, I would like to come into the next question by asking you, so how important is decolonizing yoga and how have you incorporated it into your classes? So the term decolonizing yoga, let me just give you some history on that and some context for people who are listening, because I think it can be a bit of a complex term to, to understand. So essentially, yoga is an indigenous art. It's an old, ancient practice from South Asia. And while the British were ruling what was then known as India, which is now the wider state of South Asia, uh, yoga was seen to be really spiritual, really woo-woo, and it was actually banned. And if you were practicing yoga, it was punishable by death in some cases, which is horrific when you think about it. And fast forward to today, when you look at how yoga is is represented globally, it's predominantly not South Asian people that you see doing yoga. It is predominantly white people that you see doing yoga. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because, because yoga is not not for white people. So that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that people from the culture from where yoga originated should feel included, should be represented. And as a historical context as to why it's really problematic that they are not. So 
I want it to be really clear that decolonizing yoga, in my eyes anyway, I know there are other people who see that word slightly differently, but in my perspective and how I teach, decolonizing yoga is really about inclusivity for everyone. It's about bringing it back to the roots and the foundation of the practice. It is about elevating South Asian yoga teachers. We do exist. And it's about making sure they have a space, whether that be through yoga studios, whether that be through yoga brands, whether that be through yoga festivals. I still see yoga festivals with a full lineup of white yoga teachers. There's not one person of color and there's not one South Asian. And that's really problematic. And I don't need to go into the reasons as to why that is. I'm sure people are very aware of that already. So decolonizing yoga, how do I bring that into my practice? So when I, and you'll see this on my, on my Instagram page at Tawari Yoga, I do a lot of posts around what actually decolonization means, what it is, what it isn't, you know, how can you culturally appreciate instead of culturally appropriate? And there can be really simple things like having that conversation, raising that topic with the yoga festival. If you see a brand that's selling yoga gear, and I've said that in inverted commas, because you don't necessarily need it, any gear to be able to practice yoga, and, you, and you're looking at, again, the way that they're representing it, raise it. Have, we have to all speak up, otherwise nothing's changed. So don't be afraid to speak up and use your voice and be an ally to South Asians who are trying to fight the fight because it can't just be coming from people from the culture. It has to be other allies as well. Things like being aware of how to use the deities. So often, you know, the gods from Hindu mythology or gods that are represented or related with yoga. So it might be Buddha, it might be Ganesh. They're just kind of thrown on a top and sold. Again, that's commercializing something that's really sacred. Again, with not much understanding of it. If you're in practice and you're chanting a certain mantra, you know, ask your teacher, what does this mantra mean? Why are we chanting it? You don't have to do it in front of everyone, but you can have a chat with them at the end and say, if they didn't explain it, they may have explained it, which in which case, perfect. But if they haven't explained it, asking them what it means and, and, and why it is that you're doing that, because otherwise we're just blindly following these rituals and traditions and we have no idea why. And it, it's the, the intention and the purpose is lost. So little things like that. And I actually have a workshop coming up in June which is called From Cultural Appropriation to Cultural Appreciation. It's an online live workshop. So if you're based over in the US, Canada, you'd be able to join. And, um, and it's an hour and a half. And I go through all of that in lots more detail. Um, when I'm teaching a yoga posture class, I won't go into the history. I will teach the yoga postures, but I will give a little bit of context behind why we're doing a pose and how spiritually mm -hmm. does that connect. So if we're doing, for example, lizard pose, how is this connecting to Swadhisthana Chakra, which is our sacral energy center? How does that connect yeah. that element of water? How is that? So I'll, I'll try and bring the philosophy in um, so that it makes sense in the flow of, of a practice. Yeah, for sure. And um, thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important to self-advocate and advocate for ourselves. And of course, yoga is something that has a mass commercialization, um, as you've mentioned there. So I think the concept of decolonizing yoga is really potent to understand. And um, I hope our listeners and viewers get a better idea of what exactly is based on what you have explained there. So thank you for sharing that. And I would like to come into the next question by asking you, so what is the significance of inclusion and diversity in yoga? I know you've touched upon it, but I would like to know a little bit more. I mean, you know, when you grow up and you're just watching TV and if you only see people who look like you, 
you're going to get a shock when you come into the wider world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you see yourself pre- represented in a situation where you've never seen yourself represented before, you're going to feel like you can shoot for those goals. So for example, if I look at the CEO of this number of companies and I see that they are all Indian women, women who are strong Indian women, and I've never really seen that before because let's be real, I haven't. It generally tends to be white men. When I see that, firstly, that's great because I see myself represented. Secondly, I feel, and there's psychology behind this, there's studies that have shown, like I feel like I have a space at the table and why, why I can't do it. Why cannot I not do that, do that too? I can. And I'm not saying that there are people who don't see themselves and therefore think there's a space because I'm not represented. But the vast majority of people, if you don't see yourself there, you're not going to ever imagine that you can be there. You might not shoot for the stars and you might just feel completely excluded, which is wrong. So diversity and inclusion across everything is important, but it's important it's done right. And I think a lot of brands will do it not in an honorable, honest way. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's a very, they're very much buzzwords now as well. So mm-hmm. saying you have a DNI strategy and, you know, putting a brown girl on the cover of a magazine or, you know, putting a, a black model on, on a website and a photo shoot is all fair, fair and well, but at the core, what does the diversity and inclusion within the organization actually look like? Right. And that translates exactly the same into yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, if we just see yoga being represented by white people, cultural appropriation is when you take from another person's culture elements of the practice that only you like and you don't really want to do any of the rest of the stuff, which is in this case, the yoga poses. And it's dominated by people from another culture, which is exactly what's happened in the world of yoga. And yeah, it's, 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 it's really important because it's a tool that should be available to all of us. And so if a lot of us feel that it's not available to us, then it, it's been stolen in a way. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel like if they can do it, so, so can we, right? If like a, let's say like an influencer or someone does this, um, I think we also get that inspiration that I can also do that as well. So yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. And with yoga, that's also so important, inclusion and diversity, making sure that everyone is welcomed and it's not something, yoga is not something that's stolen. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I would like to come into the next question by asking you, so how can one be consistent with their yoga practice? think about the time that you're practicing. So think about how long you can practice for that no matter what else you've got in your day, you can commit to. And that's how you'll get your consistency. Because if you think I just wanna practice yoga every single day and you think that's an hours long class on your yoga mat, then Mm -hmm. that's quite unrealistic. Maybe not for some people, but for for me, it is. For me, it's unrealistic to say, I'm going to do an hour of physical yoga practice every single day. Like I said, yoga is a lifestyle and and I try and live it every single day throughout the day as much as I can. Mm -hmm. But when I'm talking about physical practice, focusing on my breath, meditation, like an hour every day, I feel is is a scary number for me to commit to. And I don't really commit to it. 
I commit to doing 30 minutes every single day of a physical practice. I can do that every morning. And I'm in the routine now where if I wake up one day, I know that I can do the minimum 30 minutes. Right. But if there's a day where I have a bit longer in the morning, I've woken up earlier or I just fancy it. I'll say, I'm going to do 45 minutes or I'm going to do an hour. And if I do the 45 minutes or the hour I've won, cause I've, I've, I've done my half an hour and then I've done more amazing. But the most important thing is I've stuck to my half an hour. Now I'm not saying half an hour is the ideal because for you, it might be 10 minutes. That's good enough because it's about consistency. It's not about the duration. So 10 minutes of meditation a day, 10 minutes of pranayam breathing techniques every single day, or 10 minutes of yoga asana doing movement postures, 10 minutes of reading from a yoga philosophy book, 10 minutes of looking into the yamas and the niyamas or looking into the awareness of within you. There's so many different aspects of yoga. So you can mix it up and you can play around with how you want to spend your 10 minutes, which is the beauty of it. But mm. break it down, keep it short to start off with. And then if you've done 10 minutes for a month, you can say, you know what, I'm ready to do 20 minutes. And I think I can fit that in. But the more consistent you are, the more you'll notice the benefits. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I really like how you mentioned that, you know, you start, you start with 10 minutes first and then you go more into like 20 minutes and 30 minutes and so on. So, um, and also I really like that, how you mentioned about, it's not just about like asanas, you can also, it can also be meditative practices, niyamas and yamas and so on. So um, I think, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important. And for many people, it's been the case, how can I be consistent with my yoga practice, right? Like some people start day one, but then day two, they don't really be consistent with it. So I think it's really important. Like, why, yeah. do you, why do you want to practice yoga anyway? Ask yourself that question. Because if you want to be consistent with it, there has to be a reason. Do you want to get more flexible? Do you want to be more introspective? Do you want to be kinder? Do you want to improve your focus, your concentration? Like, what are you looking for? Think of one thing, maybe three things, but make a note of what is your why? Like, why are you doing it in the first place? Because if you don't have any direction, then of course you're going to wake up on day two and think, oh, it's day two. I don't want to do it. But, but for me, like, my the reason I stick consistent and the reason why I do it is because completely changes like I choose to practice in the morning that works well for me it might not be the same for anyone who's listening this so pick a time of day that's going to work well for you but for me waking up starting my morning with a meditation sometimes journaling I'll write down how I feel I'll write down what I'm grateful for and then go into into a physical practice with asana and with pranayam and 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 all of that kind of stuff my day runs so smoothly because it starts with that time and it I'm, I'm taking care of myself first before I rush downstairs, grab a coffee and get on a work call. Because for those who are listening, I work at a tech company Monday to Friday, nine to five. I'm the director of sales for a tech company. I'm on the senior leadership team. I have a lot going on at work. So if I didn't start my days like that and if I just wake up at 8.45 because I slept late the night before, grab a coffee, go straight to a meeting, my whole day is stressed. And you might not even realize, but I can feel it. So starting my morning like that, it for me, it sets the tone. And it's, it's a really important thing that I do for myself, even on the days I don't want to move. And if we're talking about an asana practice and the physical side, some days you don't want to do a really, really dynamic flow. That's fine. I'll do something really slowly. It doesn't matter if I spend that half an hour doing child's pose and shavasana. That's still my yoga. 
So it doesn't matter how many poses can I squeeze in? No, 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 no. Listen to your body, be intuitive and be consistent and identify your why, why it is that you're doing what it is that you're doing and why you want to be consistent in the practice. Yeah, definitely. And well said, I think it's so important to um, be consistent and start easy. And of course, um, like giving priority to yourself, right? Because I know you said um, you go to work as well. So starting your day with yoga or like any type of meditation practices can make a difference in your whole entire day. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, I would like to come into the next question by asking you, who is your inspiration in terms of yoga? My mom. She's Me just too. so devoted. I still have a vivid memory as a child going up to her room. I must have wanted something. And she was sat there reading through her prayer book, which is Bhakti Yoga, Yoga of Devotion. And she was just reading in Sanskrit. And I, I was like, mom, mom. And she just didn't even look up. And my mom is, by the way, the most caring, loving mother. But that was probably one of the best things she could have done. Because even just that, me remembering that, it's that devotion, where it's unwavering. And, you know, it's, she practices yoga asana every day. She does pranayam. She follows all of my YouTube classes. She's my biggest fan. <laughs> but she has instilled that in me. And she's also instilled a real sense of positivity and optimism. She's very, very positive, upbeat always. And I think that is important as well because it's about your mindset and how mindful you are. And you, if you're not mindful of how you feel and the way that you are, then it's very easy to just kind of, you know, over, I think lots of studies have been done and I think the percentage is over 40%, nearly 50% of the time, humans are just on autopilot. So she, you know, she's really taught me to be, be aware, be self-aware and um, to acknowledge any emotions that come up and to be aware of them and to welcome them and talk about them. So it's not this kind of toxic positivity where you're just pushing down those negative emotions because that's important to talk about and rather than just um, pretend they haven't happened. But yeah, definitely my mom. There's no, there's no one else that I look up to. And I think the other thing she's taught me, which is, which is kind of the, another reason why I do what I do is that I can do anything I set my mind on and this very, very, very can-do attitude. Um, mm. And that it's, you know, it's my birthright kind of thing. She always says that it's my birthright to, to do what I want to do. So again, that's the reason why I'm like pushing against the grain um, of, of, of what the yoga industry looks like and trying to make change um, because I don't see why I can't. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think for me as well, my inspiration is also my mom. Um, she's someone that got um, me into yoga as well. So I can definitely relate with you on that. So that's yeah, nice. moms are great. They are, aren't they? They're the best. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And now I would like to come to one of my favorite segments, which is the rapid fire questions round. And I want to start off by asking you, if you were to choose one place to practice yoga, where would it be and why? That is a really good question. I'm gonna have to say India. Uh, India yeah. because there's a deep sense of connection that I have with that land and it's where I trained. 
It's where I'm from. It's where all my ancestors are from. It's where the practice of yoga is from. And there in specific parts of India, there is just a feeling of magic and mysticism in the air that so aligns with the practice of yoga. So I would say definitely India. Yeah, I would definitely go with that option as well. And um, India is where yoga started, the, the concept of yoga started. So yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to come into the next question, which is, if you had the opportunity to customize yoga to your preference, what changes would you implement? More South Asian representation across teachers and across practitioners. So people who come to practice people feeling like it's a practice for them, regardless of how good or bad they are. And I'm sorry, this isn't really a quick fire round. I'm going into detail here. But the, the number one thing I'll hear people say, they'll tell me, oh, I'm gonna do a yoga class. Like, are you proud of me? I'm really excited. By the way, I did it, loved it, but I was rubbish. Or people say, oh, you're a yoga teacher. I'm so bad at it. Oh, I went to yoga, I'm not flexible enough. And we always just, I mean, I think that's kind of human beings love to do that, but in yoga, we do it so much. And I don't know why, and it, it, it must be why it, the reason must be because of the way that it's presented as an industry to us. So yeah. I want, I, I would love for people to view yoga as a practice that was just open to them, regardless of them mm -hmm. having to name as to whether they were good or bad at it. And yeah, then I think the last thing would be for all aspects of yoga to be taught. You go to a yoga class and you're seeing lots of different things being touched on as opposed for it just you walk in, you move around, you walk out because there's no introspection in that unless you are really introspective already and you know how to operate in an asana practice, which I do because I'm a teacher and I've spent years doing that and I've spent years trying to do that. But if you don't know and you walk in, of course you see it just as a physical practice and just as kind yeah. of a, a fitness class because it's presented in that way. So I'd change, I'd change those things. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think these changes are so important, more representation and, um, you know, more of these changes would definitely create a positive impact for the community as well. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And the final question I have for you is, what lessons have yoga taught about yourself? That I need to remind myself to be softer and yoga brings out that side of me as well. Um, but I think I generally have quite a hard, a hard exterior. So to be softer, it's taught me to be patient. Mm -hmm. And it's taught me to forgive. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, yoga is just a whole like it's it's an ocean and I feel like there's there's so much lessons we as human beings learn each day from a practice and I think um, for me something that yoga has taught me was gratitude showing gratitude to loved ones and everyone else that have made an impact in our lives so I think the ones you've mentioned are also really important as well so yeah thank you for sharing that and that is the end of our rapid fire questions round. Thank you so much for joining me, Angie, um, on the 24th episode of Inside the Minds of Great Yogis. It was absolutely a pleasure speaking with you about all things yoga. And I learned so, so much new things with you. And I can also relate with things you've mentioned there. So if you would like to check out Angie, um, you can check her out at Tawari Yoga on Instagram and her other social media pages. 
And I would also like to thank everyone who has yet to listen to the 24th episode of Inside the Minds of Great Yogis. And until next time, have a great day, everyone. And thank you, Angie. Thank you so much for having me.